You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Welcome back to The Pipeline Show. We move from the Ontario Hockey League to the Western Hockey League. That means it's an in-the-dub segment brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League on a daily basis by going to dubnetwork.ca. My guest to set up round two in the WHL playoffs is the voice of the Saskatoon Blades. That's Les Lazarek. Welcome back to the program, Les. How's things? Well, not so bad. Uh, we're getting ready here for something that hasn't happened in quite a few years, round two of the playoffs, and uh, trying to overcome a cold, but that we seem to have it uh, knocked back enough that I think we'll be ready to go come Friday for game one in Prince Albert. All right, it should be a beauty series, too, when you get two arch rivals like that going head-to-head. We've got it here in Alberta, too, with Edmonton and Calgary and uh, Spokane and uh and Everett, so there's lots of rivalries across the Western Hockey League in the second round, but let's start with the uh, the series in your backyard. Obviously, Prince Albert's been the number one team in the WHL all season long. I would expect most people would be taking the Raiders uh, to win this series, but uh, don't tell the Blades that because uh, they're in it to win it as well, and that is a very, very good team in Saskatoon. How do you uh, size up this matchup? Well, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that the Blades have to find a way to win a game or two, likely, in this series in Prince Albert. And that's something that they have not done in the regular season. Um, the ability to find a way to win in that hostile environment, and it is really a hostile environment. That crowd at the Arthauser Center is right on top of you, and they let you know how they feel about you. And especially if you're the Saskatoon Blades, uh, they can't wait to boo. They can't wait to taunt. They can't wait to try and even get involved in some fans' uh, situations, they try and get involved with, with various people and try and get you off of your game. And, and the Blades' task is to try and block that out, to try and make sure that they don't let that kind of thing get under their skin. They're going to have a tough enough time with some of the Raider players on the ice trying to get under their skin, but the fans will try and be involved as well, and they'll be a big part of it, and the Blades have to overcome all of that in order to win, like I say, at least once, if not twice, in order to advance fast the Raiders into round three. Both teams sweep their way through uh, the first round. Uh, I always say the first game of the series is the least important because somebody's got to win the first one. It kind of just sets the tone for the rest of the way. But considering neither of these clubs has actually suffered a loss yet, maybe does it make the, the first game that much more important than it would normally in a case where, you know, neither team has faced defeat yet and maybe, uh, you know, you get that first loss and it plants the seed of doubt. How important is game one in your mind? Very important. Absolutely important. Uh, I think that what you say is absolutely the case. The fact that neither team has lost a game in the postseason yet have not really faced a lot of adversity. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Uh, perception is not necessarily reality when it comes to the Moose Jaw Saskatoon series. Yes, the Blades won in four straight, but every game was a one-goal hockey game. And yes, I know there was a two-goal deficit or two-goal margin there, but that was with an empty net. And as far as I'm concerned, those count as one-goal hockey games. Um, they were all one-goal hockey games. And so the Blades didn't have it easy against Moose Jaw. And as such, uh, can't be thinking that, you know, this is going to be easy coming up against Prince Albert. And they're going to have to meet adversity as they faced against Moose Jaw uh, head-on and try and overcome it as best they can. And I think the same goes for the Raiders. Um, you know, Red Deer gave them as good a push as the Rebels could possibly do, considering they were without Alexander Alexiev in their lineup. And I think that was a huge factor in that uh, in that series as well. But uh, Prince Albert is the kind of team that is going to have to overcome adversity if they face it, and Game 1 is going to be the ultimate 
adversity for one of these two teams. One of them's going to win, one of them's going to lose, and going into game two, it's how that team that loses game one responds in game two is ultimately, I think, going to tell the tale of this series. Now, it was announced today that the, the first, what, three games are going to be on Sportsnet, so there'll be the extra TV timeouts and things like that. Does that pose a, an advantage for either club? I don't think it does because I think both teams like the depth that they have. Uh, yeah. I think both teams feel that they're pretty deep, top three lines worth. I mean, I don't know how much the fourth lines are going to play as a result, but yeah. uh, that's up to Mitch Love and, and Mark Hapshide to decide. But they also have very deep defense cores um, with, with with six deep. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that neither side really feels that the extra timeouts are, are going to be that big of a factor. I, they're just going to make things drag up maybe a little bit longer than what they need to. But uh, in some instances, that could be a good thing as well, uh, just adding into the drama, as it, as it were. Yeah, oh, I agree. I th- you know, if it was a one-line team, sort of like Moose Jaw, kind of, I think that extra timeout would be more beneficial to a club like that. But yep. when you've got the depth that these two clean, the teams have, I don't think it's a huge huge advantage. Speaking of Moose Jaw, before we move on to the other series, uh, that last series uh, between the Blades and the Warriors, the way it ended, I got to watch the overtime uh, in that game. Mm-hmm. Didn't last all that long, but the notable at the end of it, the uh, that Tim Hunter did not participate in the traditional uh, good sportsmanship uh, handshake between the two teams. And I know that uh, caused quite the stir on Twitter. Uh, has there been any fallout from that? What do you think of it at the time? At the time, I was surprised. I, I was disappointed. Uh, I'm told that he went in to check the offside uh, or apparent offside or the thought that was offside on what was the winning goal, and it was close. So, yes, I, I can believe that he might have gone to check that. But I'd also like to believe that there was time once he had checked it and saw one way or the other that he could have come back out and been involved. Mm. Um, so it's disappointing in, in that regard. But, uh, oh, well, that's that's the way it goes. Maybe maybe Tim Hunter's not been on tradition. I don't know. Yeah. And I know there was some talk. I think was he not quoted in saying something about sportsmanship by the Blades about diving too much and that that was, uh, started with uh, something the uh, the Raiders actually said. Uh, well, I was, I was going to say, this is this is something, Guy, that is going to come up again here. Yeah. Mark Hapshite going to jump on this bandwagon and, 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 and beat upon it here, probably going into game one of the series on Friday, is making sure that the officials are aware of the Blades, what they feel is their propensity for diving. And he compares what the Blades do with their, with their new coaching staff, with Mitch Love at the helm, similar to what he faced as a Western Conference coach and coming up against the Everett Silvertips when it was Kevin Constantine, of course, Mitch Love played and coached with Kevin Constantine. So the idea is is that there's very similar styles, that very similar uh, thinking goes on between what Mitch Love is doing and what Kevin Constantine used to do. And as such, you can then make the conclusion that the Blades are trying to dive and embellish and trying to draw penalties and that the officials are going to try to you know, have to be warned about this from the Raiders and from the Warriors before that. Um <laughs> You know that's gamesmanship. Uh, that's that's playoff hockey. Is part of it as well, and we'll see whether or not uh, the officials that Kevin Minch, uh, you know, puts into this series uh, fall for this sort of thing. Les Lazarek is the voice of the Saskatoon Blades. He's my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we're looking at round two of the WHL playoffs. Let's uh, move to the uh, Battle of Alberta. In fact, in Alberta, it's it's always the Battle of Alberta. Is there a nickname for when uh, two Saskatchewan rivals go head to head? It's not the. Is it the Battle of Saskatchewan? No, not Battle of Saskatchewan. Central Saskatchewan rivalry for this one, as far as I'm concerned, because the two teams are only separated from uh, from door to door by about 75 minutes. Yeah. Um, as far as 
you know, Saskatoon, Regina would be the big city Saskatchewan rivalry because those are the two biggest cities. And beyond that, I don't care what they say in Moose Jaw or Regina or Swift Current because it has no matter to me. But uh, I don't think there's any battle of Saskatchewan as per se. All right, let's go to the Battle of Alberta then. Uh, You've seen the All Kings and the the Hitmen uh, during this season. Uh, I'm interested in your take on what we should expect in this series. Well, I think it's going to be a long series. I, I mean, the Hitmen... To me, we're one of the better teams in the league in the second half of the year, and Edmonton certainly finished off very strongly. Got a little bit of a scare from Medicine Hat in the opening round, but won the last three games to win the series. And Calgary, winning mostly road games against the Lethbridge uh, Hurricanes, that one was interesting in that respect. But as far as I can tell, these two teams are going to battle pretty hard. Even though Edmonton seemed to have the better of the regular season series, that goes right out the window. The Central Division all season long amongst the top five teams was so terribly close and the flip-flopping of the standings throughout the year and teams going from first to fifth and back up to first and interchanging in various positions one through five just tells me that it's going to be a massively huge series between the two and that it's a pick as far as I'm concerned. If I had to pick, I'd say Edmonton is favored just because of the way they finished this year, but Calgary's pretty darn good, too, and they knocked off a very good Lethbridge team to get to the second round. Well, Oil Kings have home ice advantage, and maybe in a series like that, uh, like this, that might come into play. Uh, focus on the Oil Kings for a second. Uh, from your perspective, uh, what's, what, what are their strengths? And, and if you can throw out a weakness, uh, what do you think that would be for, when you look at the Oil Kings? Ooh, for the Oil Kings, I think one of their strengths, and it's an underrated strength, I think, is in net. But they have that two-headed monster with Dylan Miskew and, and, and Todd Scott in goal. I think that's a strength uh, that is never usually mentioned all that terribly often. I think their defense uh, is, is, is quite capable, but I like the fact that they've got some pretty good forwards up front as well. And their depth is probably the thing that is going to try and carry the day for them up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like what they get out of Trey fix And if they can get more out of him in the second round, what they got out of him in the first, and he didn't seem to score at the at the rate we're accustomed to, then the Oil Kings become that much more of a threat come round number two. I don't, I don't see a lot weak in the Oil Kings game. That's, that's the thing. I, I like what they put out there of um, players 1 through 20, really. And conversely, the Hitmen, uh, what's your take on them? Well, Calgary is, is somewhat enigmatic uh, in my mind. Uh, they've been able to do what they've done here recently without key players in the lineup. Uh, Mark Kastelik continues to be in and out of the lineup due to various different injuries. They've been without Jake Kriske for quite a while, and I don't know when he's coming back. I'd like to get some intel on that. Yeah. But they've missed some key people like that along the line, and, and Jack McNaughton in goal has been phenomenal. He's been, uh, I mean, the, the first round was interesting with some of the scores of the games, but he makes a lot of big saves because at times the Hitman defense can give up a lot of good scoring opportunities. And McNaughton is on the highlight reels on a week-to-week basis in the Western Hockey League because of some of the big saves he makes, and he's been forced to do so. So that's maybe the one area of Calgary that has to shore up is their defensive zone play. And if they can do that, then they have a chance to upset the Oil Kings. And the the interesting sidebar story in this series, uh, Steve Hamilton, who is very well-liked in this market, uh, returns to Edmonton, but as the coach of the uh, the hated Calgary Hitman, that just puts an extra <laughs> extra cool spin on things, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's really interesting that Steve Hamilton uh, moves down to Calgary and now is going to get a chance to face the Oil Kings, his former team just last year, and being a member of the, of the Oil King organization for so many years, even during their uh, 
great runs back in the middle of this decade, uh, you know, getting a chance to play against them. I, I think that makes, uh, makes it very, very interesting what's going to happen here in round two with the coaching and behind the benches. All right, let's let's move out to the uh, the West Coast, and uh, we'll, maybe we'll start in the BC division. And it's always uh, tougher for me because I don't get to see the uh, the teams in the Western Conference nearly as much as uh, well the traveling media guys for sure, and the play by play guys. Uh, when I look at the Vancouver Giants in the Victoria Royal series, I see Victoria with a really good goaltender, but Vancouver's got more offensive firepower and arguably the best uh, defenseman his age uh, in the Canadian Hockey League in Bowen Byram. Um, how do you see that series? Yeah, it's hard to disagree with what you're saying, Lurgy, with regards to how these teams look. Uh, but Victoria always seems to find a way. And they found a way to get into second place, have home ice advantage in the first round. And uh, riding Griffin outhouse, no doubt about that. They, they don't seem to have the strength that they had in past years. In fact, they traded away a very good 20-year-old to Prince Albert at the deadline in Dante Hanoon, and yet they just keep on moving along. I don't know how much that says about the strength of the BC division this year or not, you can discuss that. I, I tend to think that there's maybe something to do that. Yeah. But um, in my mind, Victoria was a, was the best team out of the rest of the bunch in the BC division, and that's the reason why they're coming up against Vancouver. But they should be easy pickings for a Giants team that has, again, two very good goaltenders in Trent Liner and David Tendick. They've got Bowen Byram, who's leading that defense corps, but they've got good defense beyond that. Dylan Plouffe is an outstanding and underrated defenseman on the uh, back end in the Vancouver Giants. And, of course, that, that forward group led by Milos Roman is, uh, is, is a tremendous group as well. So I really think this could be a quick uh, BC Division Series, and the Royals will be able to try and prove that it won't be, but I don't know whether they can or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think this one could be a quick series as well, and maybe that's uh, both of us maybe uh, underestimating what Victoria can do, I just, I just don't see them having enough offensive attack. Uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, the last series is the Everett Silvertips against the Spokane Chiefs. At the start of the year, I thought Spokane was going to be the best team in the division. But part of that is because I always seem to underestimate what the Silvertips can always put out. Uh, and boy, that team is uh, uh, loaded for bear once again. Uh, pardon the pun, uh, but the Silvertips uh, look like they could be the team to beat. Uh, in this series as well. Uh, what's the tale of the tape in your mind? Well, I, li- I like the pun, first of all, Guy. Uh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> they're definitely they're loaded for bear, and uh, and that the head of the bear is, is Dustin Wolf in goal, who just, you know, they just seem to go from goaltender to goaltender to goaltender in that organization, from Leland Irving to Carter Hart, and now it's Dustin Wolf, and it's like, wow, you know, where did this kid come from? What he showed last year yeah. as a 16-year-old rookie when he was forced to play games, while Hart was away playing with the World Juniors, that he was very capable. It wasn't just the team in front of him, although they do play a style that allows for a goaltender to have success, but they are so good team-wise. Their structure is phenomenal, and they're difficult to get out of that structure. You have to score that opening goal in order to force, and maybe even get the first two goals in order to force them out of their comfort zone. If you don't get that first goal, man, you're going to see a steady diet of, Whatever system it is they throw, whether it's whether you think it's a trap, whether you think it's a left-wing lock, whether you think it's whatever, whatever whatever that system is that they utilize out there that Dennis Williams has, um, the Silver Tips executed so terribly well, and as a result, they are, they're tough to bat against. They're, they're tough to go up against. And Spokane has some people that can definitely do some things against it. I mean, Jared Anderson Dolan, obviously, is, is, a, is a key factor there. Mm-hmm. But to me... 
the problem in Spokane might end up being is is how good their defense can be and can they keep the UT Silvertips from getting that opening goal early uh, and can they kill off the power plays because if there's one thing that the Silvertips do do well while playing well defensively is they execute special teams and if they can get power play goals and kill off Spokane's power play, well, it, it becomes a moot point then no matter what the Chiefs do five on five. Uh, the Chiefs do have some uh, talent, as you mentioned. You mentioned Jared Anderson Dolan. I think we're still, personally, I'm still waiting to see the best of Jared Anderson Dolan. I don't think he's uh, had the season uh, quite yet that uh, he wanted to have. Uh, obviously, an injury uh, played a part of that, but uh, you, yep. you got Ty Smith on the back end. Riley Woods yep. seems to have really taken off here in the playoffs as well. And uh, Luke Toporowski, Adam Beckman, two draft-eligible guys uh, leading the attack for the Chiefs. So they definitely have the firepower. Uh, my question mark might be in goal for, for Spokane, at least head to head. Doesn't seem like they match up that well with Everett. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, except that I know Bailey Birkin played some great hockey for them at, and stretches during the course of this year. So it's hard to discount them, but when you take a look at the consistent excellence of Dustin Wolf, then yeah, probably goaltending would be the area you'd look at and say, that's probably where Everett wins. But I also think, that special teams is going to be an area that Everett might have an advantage on in Spokane as well. All right, Les, that's the preview for round two. have to ask you about some news uh, today. The uh, Winnipeg Ice, <laughs> no longer the Kootenai Ice, uh, acquired the rights yes. to uh, Carter Savoy, who happens to be uh, a real good player on his own right, uh, playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League this year with the Sherwood Park Crusaders. They're in the finals uh, in the uh, North Division right now, and he's leading that team in scoring. But uh, his little brother... Matthew Savoy, of course, we all know that name now. He's expected to be the first overall pick in the draft. Well, maybe because he's already committed to Denver College or Denver University, rather, like Carter Savoy is. Now the ice, they'll pick up the rights to Carter Savoy, and that really changes the, the complexion of, of things. How does this play out? Is this just the, the ice trying to get all, as much uh, an advantage as they can? Um, and now they, they have basically a month to try to, uh, woo the family and uh, and get a commitment from uh, both kids. It's a gamble, but I think it's a, it's a gamble I think you have to take. Um, and, yes, it's going to cost you, you know, at least one draft pick, and that's the thing. It's not like they had to give up a lot yeah. in order to get the rights to Carter Savoy. A fifth-round selection in 2019, two conditionals, and obviously those conditionals are if they can get both of those guys to commit to playing for the Winnipeg Ice. If they can do so, you gladly do it because every report I get on Matthew Savoy, and you've probably seen him a lot more than I have, Guy, but the Blade Scouts tell me that he's everything that is advertised, that he is a possible generational talent and certainly one of the best to come down the pipe, so to speak, um, over the course of time here in out of Western Canada, and a guy that probably deserved to get exceptional status and play in the Western Hockey League at age 15. I'm, I'm still not sure why it is that, you know, Hockey Canada chose not to and yeah. uh, and yet allows people from Ontario, it seems, every second year to gain exceptional status. But that's a discussion for another time. Uh, if, if the ice can somehow woo the Savoy family into letting both Carter and Matthew play for them, wow. Going into that new building that they're going to end up with a couple of years down the line, that's a, that's a phenomenal gamble I think you have to take on their part. And uh, I wish them all the best in it. Maybe not too much luck from a opposition <laughs> point of view, but I, I think from a Western Hockey League point of view, you wish them the best of luck because if you can woo those types of kids to your league, then it only helps out the league, period, further on down the line. Well said, Les, uh, as always. I really appreciate your insight into uh, round two in the WHL. 
And we'll be listening, not watching on TV. We'll be listening to the broadcast. <laughs> I appreciate that, Guy. Yes. <laughs> All right, Les. Thanks for this. See ya. We'll be following you as well. All right. <laughs> See ya for sure. That's Les Lazarek, the uh, voice of the Saskatoon Blades, getting ready to uh, call the game one uh, tonight here in, uh, not here in Prince Albert, uh, over there in Prince Albert, but should be a great series. Uh, and I think most people are probably picking Prince Albert to win that series based on what they've done all season long. Worth mentioning, Saskatoon actually has the best record in the WHL in the second half of the year. So interesting matchup there. Uh, I will say, if I'm going to pick, I'm, I'll pick Prince Albert, but I think that one could go seven games. I'm going to say seven games, but the the Prince Albert Raiders uh, come away victorious. The uh, other series in the Eastern Conference, the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Calgary Hitmen. Edmonton dominated the regular season series between the two teams. I will pick them to win the series as well, but uh, I'm going to give uh, Calgary some uh, more credit than I think most people are giving them. I'm going to go uh, six, maybe even seven games, but I'll say six uh, for the Oil Kings in that series. Um, in the West, I like Vancouver and I like Everett. Uh, both of those teams look pretty formidable. Um, so I'm going to take the two favorites in the uh, the Western Conference. So really, I guess in all four series, I'm taking the higher seed. So that's lame and boring on my part. I apologize. One segment left to go on the show. It's a good one. The top-rated defenseman in the class of 2019. He's in the 2019 draft spotlight. Bowen Byram of the Vancouver Giants Get to know him next here on the Pipeline Show. Corbett Mayo wants Corbett at last. They score! Score! Curtis Lazar! Dips hold the Corbett offering. The Oil Kings are going to the Memorial Cup Championship Final. Hey, this is Curtis Lazar, the Memorial Cup Champion on the Edmonton Oil Kings, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. 